Welcome to the Pattern Podcast from KXE in London. As a church, we want to learn ways of being with Jesus, becoming like him and doing the things he did in order to see this city we love transformed. This podcast is a resource to help us explore these spirit-filled patterns of living and start putting them into practice every day. For this episode on the practice of compassion, Anna Mason spoke with John Swinton, formerly a nurse specialising in mental health and now professor at the University of Aberdeen. He has a beautiful vision for living lives of compassion, fueled by his lifelong work and friendship with those affected by mental health. Enjoy the conversation. Thank you so much, John, for joining us. It's great to have you um, all the way from Australia on your sabbatical, giving us your time. So we really, really appreciate that. So thank you for being with us. Um, Just to kick off, how would you describe compassion and what, if any, are the differences between um, a Christian definition of compassion to other definitions we might hear? Well, compassion is quite complicated. I mean, basically, compassion means suffering with Right, so it's engaging with another person and suffering in a way that you really suffer with that, that individual. So if you're empathising with somebody, you kind of imagine what it might be like. But if you're acting compassionately, you really engage with the suffering in a, a really deep and meaningful way. And of course, the, the role model for engaging with suffering in that way is God. What you see in Jesus and what you see in the life of, of, of and the death of uh, Jesus is that desire for God to suffer with human beings and to be with them in the midst of their suffering, not always simply to release them, because sometimes we're not released in that sense, but always to be ever-present. And I think that's that's one distinction about the Christian way of thinking about compassion. It was interesting because I, was, I, was, I did a lecture in uh, Duke Divinity School in North Carolina last year, and it, I was talking on a Christian view of suffering. And there was a respondent from the Islamic tradition, she was great, she was a, a, a psychiatrist, which is really, really interesting. And she was pointing out how there's a lot of similarities between the two traditions in uh, terms of scriptures and, and narratives and things. But then somebody from the um, audience asked, well, what do you think about the suffering of God? And I was talked about suffering of God. And from her perspective, God can't suffer. So it's a very different image of God that they have within the Islamic tradition, within which God is um, passive in that sense. He, he uh, uh, passive. Is that the word quadrilateral I'm looking for? God doesn't suffer in that context. So one of the distinctives of the Christian tradition is that God does suffer, and that suffering ultimately brings about redemption. But it means there's always presence even in the midst of suffering. Yeah, that's amazing. And do you think there's any like? common misconceptions of what people think compassion are that you that you kind of think we should be aware of? Well, you've got to be careful with compassion because um, it can be used in good ways and it can be used in not so good ways. And so if you take something like an issue like euthanasia, people will use the language of compassion to justify euthanasia and people will use the language of compassion to argue against euthanasia. So compassion is, is kind of it's a neutral term. It depends on the moral context. It depends on the kind of community that you're speaking out of and into. And so within a, a kind of <clears throat> secular liberal society where freedom and choice and autonomy are so, uh, assumed to be the most important things for being human, 
then compassion will be functioning in a slightly different way because you want to eradicate suffering. You see suffering as something that is, is meaningless, perhaps, or, or certainly with, with something you wouldn't necessarily choose to have. Whereas if you're coming from the Christian tradition, you recognise that suffering is, is part of the way that life is. And that actually living through suffering is something that is modelled by God and something that Scripture tells us very clearly is disciples will go through suffering. So there's no kind of escape from it in that sense. So it's a difficult tension within that idea of compassion. And just to emphasise, it depends on the community that you're speaking out of as to what it actually means in practical terms. Mm, that's amazing. And, and do you think there are some people... And when we think about being compassionate people who are just naturally compassionate, or do you think it is really something we can learn? I think some people are just naturally compassionate. I think some people are natural carers and nurturers and people who are able to engage compassionately, but also to empathise and to be with people in particular ways. And other people, it's, it's more difficult. It depends to some extent on how you're wired. We're all wired differently and the kinds of experiences that we've had in life. But I think that compassion can be modelled, whether it can be taught. I don't think you could sit there in a, a classroom and, and teach somebody how to be compassionate. But you can model compassion. And when people see compassion, see it yeah, working out in the lives of real people and see what that means and the impact that that has on people, you'll be deeply influenced by that. So I think it's quite possible for people to become compassionate in that way. Even if it's not like a, a standard classroom way of teaching, I think if you're around compassionate people for long enough, you begin to understand compassion. Mm, that's amazing. I suppose then, you know, linking back to the what you were saying earlier about actually we see it in God and we see it in the nature of God and therefore it's modelled for us in Him. Um, but but for some people, um, listen to this, they actually might struggle with the idea of imaging a compassionate God because they're not convinced that actually God is truly compassionate because... Um, you know, suffering, as you're saying, it's a reality and it can be a huge stumbling block for some people. So do you have any responses to those people who find it truly difficult to believe that God actually cares? No, I, I mean, I can completely understand why somebody would have, have that sense when you look around the world and you see the suffering and the difficulties that, that we encounter daily. It's very, very, sometimes very difficult to understand the presence of compassion that is that. The Bible never tells us that it's not going to be that way. And the Bible actually never gives us a, a reason for suffering. What Scripture tends to do is not so much explain suffering as gives us ways of dealing with it, compassion being one way of dealing with it. You know, Jesus on the cross cries out, you know, Father, forgive them what they do, but then he cries out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And, like, there's never an answer to that. It's not like God shouts from the universe and says, well, this is why or that's why. And so there is an inherent mystery about suffering. But practices that are given to the church, like compassion, like friendship, like solidarity, all, like forgiveness, all these things stand in opposition to suffering. And so I think what God gives us is ways of um, standing against suffering, even if God doesn't explain what suffering is. And when people look at the church, they should see a group of people here who stand against suffering. We're able to practice compassionately, we're able to practice lovingly, even in the midst of suffering, to encounter the possibility of love. And I think, to me, 
that's what Jesus does. And I think that's that's one of the most powerful messages of the gospel is that presence within the suffering and the manifestation and the impact that that has upon people when they see Christians resisting suffering through the gentle practices of love. Mm, that's amazing. And, and moving on to thinking about like hey, the difference that compassion makes. Um, how do you think practicing compassion, like if we are a community that try and practice this, how do you think it will shape our relationship with Jesus? Well, I think that to be a disciple is to be a follower of Jesus. And to be a follower of Jesus is to be a friend of the tax collector, the sinner, the prostitute. Not the uh, reformed tax collectors, sinners and prostitutes, but people who just live their lives in a variety of different ways. Yeah. And I think that the, the, the way in which we can reveal compassion in that sense is simply by living that life of Christ-like friendship and by engaging with the world in the way that Jesus engages with the world. And when that happens, surprising things happen. Mm. And what different transformation have you noticed, like either in yourself or in others, when people have um, deliberately engaged in this? Because it, sometimes it's, it does actually need to be a deliberate act to go outside of that sphere, you know, talking about engaging with people who are, um, you know, the tax collectors, the prostitutes. That's a, that's a very deliberate thing. Have you noticed what transformation have you noticed in people who deliberately do that? Well, I think that your point is, 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 is an important one. <clears throat> Uh, that Christian friendship needs to be intentional. So very often we fall into uh, ways of making friends where they just happen. They happen because you get something in common with somebody or you go to the same places or you go to the same church or whatever, and you never really think about it. Then. And so therefore what happens then is most of your friends end up looking more or less like yourself. Um, but the intentionality in Jesus' friendships means that he stretches beyond the boundaries of that which you like, you know, you're naturally attracted to, and opens up a space where uh, surprising things begin to happen in terms of relationships and in terms of community. And I think you can see that in, in, in uh, church communities that, for example, open their doors to people living with enduring mental health challenges. There's one congregation that I've been involved with in my own city in Aberdeen, which has a, a specific service which um, is designed for people who find um, corporate worship difficult. And so they just go there and people shape and form the worship in the way that they feel is most appropriate for them. They uh, deal with, they, they, they shape a liturgy that includes, for example, lament and sadness as well as joy. Uh, and by doing that, you create spaces of acceptance where people just can be themselves in that sense. And I think when you begin to do that, then uh, the possibility of compassion becomes a reality because the space and time and, and ethos that allows you to do these things. Mm. And um, what do you think, or, you know, or imagine, or even have seen, um, a community who's practicing compassion, what impact do you think that will have on the people around it, on the community around it? Like, you know, what would London look like or would, what would London taste if KXC became a community that practiced compassion? Well, you see, one of the things I often think about is we often think about Jesus as sitting with the marginalised, right? And so we, we, he's being compassionate to the poor and the rejected and those who have been oppressed. But actually, that's a slight 
mistake, a slightly mistaken way of thinking about it. Because when you look at what, ha what happens in the Gospels, is Jesus, who is God, becomes the friend of those whom society has marginalized, and in so doing, shifts the margin. So over there, the church is still doing its rituals and worships and thinking it's communicating with God. And over here, God is doing something completely different. So I think if churches were able to capture the essence of Jesus' friendships and the essence of God's compassion and simply live that out, then people would be attracted to that. I mean, people would be, just, they'd be so surprised that be attracted to that. And I think that will become more and more significant uh, and that these kind of post-Brexit days where fragmentation and alienation seems to be the currency for... And something somewhere has to bring about healing. And I think the church and its compassionate ministry can at least model something that's quite countercultural and it's particularly significant at this moment in history. Mm. And on that one, do you think we are actually becoming a less compassionate society I think that you, 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 all you have to do is to listen to the kind of language that people use towards strangers and outcasts, and sorry, strangers and others. And as soon as you start talking about, about things like immigrants and asylum seekers or Muslims or whatever way you want to put it, where you're putting a, a big label that occludes the reality of real people behind it, which enables you to do and make certain decisions that can be really unhelpful. As soon as you start to, to use that kind of language, you know that there's a problem. Because as soon as you lose your identity as a single person and suddenly are subsumed into this mass which is stigmatised and alienated, then you're in trouble. So, yeah, I think we, we, we have to be very, very careful and we have to watch our language. All of us have to do that. Mm. And um, I suppose linked to that, but what areas of society do you think are starved of compassion and, and need to taste a compassionate community? Well, all, all of us need to taste a compassionate community, but there are groups of people who are particularly stigmatised and very often alienated. So people with certain forms of disability, people with certain <clears throat> forms of mental health challenges, find it very difficult to find a, a valued space within the society simply because of the way that we value things. You know, if, if you have a society that thinks that intellect and reason is the most important thing <clears throat> for being a human being, then it makes it very difficult for you to have an intellectual disability or to have dementia or to have a mental health challenge because culturally it pushes into something that people assume is really important for what you are as a human being. And of course it's not. You know, it's something like 95% of what human beings do is not cognitive intellectual in that sense. It just happens. It hums along under the hood. It's only a small percentage of what we do that we think about. But culturally, we prioritise that and say this is the most important thing. And by doing that, we've alienated a whole group of people. So there's a lot of people that need compassionate ministry and a lot of people that need to be recognised as fully human beings. And compassion is one way of beginning to open up that, 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 that space. And um, I mean, that was that's beautiful. Thank you so much. Um, moving into more of a practical thing of like, OK, how do we actually begin to live this out? What do you see as some of the barriers that stop us from engaging with compassion and um, how can we begin to overcome them? Well, fear and awkwardness is a real barrier towards uh, compassion. 
So, I mean, if you think of the example, um, the, one of the areas I'm, I'm interested in, and one of the reasons why I'm here doing this, instead of doing some research, is working alongside people with dementia. Right? So, I'm, I'm, I'm particularly interested in, in the spiritual lives of people with advanced dementia. When you come to that stage where you, you can't remember a lot of the things that you used to remember, you're not able to use your cognition. It's a very difficult space to, to inhabit and very difficult for people to to uh, understand and come to, to grips with. But one of the things that people, that, that is very clear is that people with dementia, like many elderly people, are lonely. So it's loneliness because your friends drift away because of the stigma of the diagnosis, or your friends perhaps die because you, you're, you're getting a bit older and that's, that's what happens when you get old. The, um, so nobody visits them. So nobody takes the time to just sit with them, to knock on their door, to go and visit them in the care home. And people will say things like, well, I'd rather remember them the way that they used to be. Because the way they used to be is not the way they are now, but the way they are now is, is, is valuable and lovable. And so I think simply by recognising the need for visiting people, you know, visitation, just being friendly with people, knocking on people's doors is a first step towards a genuinely compassionate community because it's those whom society rejects and something the church rejects as well that are the most lonely within our society. And bearing in mind that Christianity is all about relationality and all about coming to, to understand God and become part of the body of Christ. To have people who are lonely and to have disciples who are lonely. There's many people in that context that are disciples. You don't stop being a disciple because you've got a bit of brain damage. To have disciples who are lonely and the body of Christ still to, not to notice that, there's something uh, challenging, I would say. That's good. It's a really good challenge. Um, so what are the first practical steps for someone who wants to practice compassion then? Look after your friends. Mm. Yeah, and nurture your, the relationships that you have in a way that helps you to understand the power of love and the power of relationship. Once you get your own relationship right, then you can expand beyond that and think about ways in which you can draw other people or enter into other people's lives and into other people's social circles. But I think that the, the, the beginning place is at home. Have a look at your own relationships and see where you go right, where you go wrong. Are you a compassionate person? Because what you know earlier on, you, you you said, can people learn compassion? And I said what I said. But one of the interesting things about really compassionate people, somebody like Jesus, for example, is that it's not that they practice compassion. You know, it's, don't wake up in the morning and say, I'm going to be compassionate today. What happens is that over time, they, 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 they engage in compassionate things and eventually they become compassionate people, people who can no longer do anything other than be compassionate. It's, just, it's no longer a choice for you, you just, you're just compassionate. Mm. And I think that begins with, with those who are close to you. And it also begins by thinking about those whom you, you feel alienated from and sit, working through how you deal with uh, broken relationships and how you deal with people that you don't like and all of these things. So practising uh, compassion in order that you can be a compassionate person I think is the, the, the beginning point for all. That's great um, and for those people who are deeply compassionate um, there is such a thing as compassion fatigue and so what are the, some of the boundaries you would recommend for us as we practice compassion that's in a way that's healthy and su sustainable? 
Well, compassion fatigue is important because I mean, there's only so much that anybody can can take, and they're constantly faced with suffering. And that's one of the problems that you know, if you if you advertise in a particular way for, for issues around poverty or child abuse, whatever, people just get so full of it that they can't deal with it anymore. So you have to be very careful. Um, but you know, when you think about it, maybe this is the way to think about it. You know, when Jesus is asked about the sum of the law and the prophets, he says is to love God, love your neighbor, and love yourself. Now, these are not three separate things; they're all part of the same process. You know, when you should love God, you you can't do nothing other than love your neighbor, love your neighbor. But that also means loving yourself. And so, if you're in a, if you're in a situation where you're being ground down by for example, looking after somebody over an extended period of time is exhausting. You need help. You need respite. And so enabling people to look after themselves in situations where um, they're under severe stress and where compassion really will come to an end because they're so, whatever situation it is, is so difficult. And that means the body of Christ taking seriously the issue of sharing in the suffering of other people. So if there's somebody, for example, with a significant health condition in your uh, congregation and somebody's looking after them day after day after day after day, it's our responsibility to make sure that both of these people are looked after. So noticing the need for compassion uh, and noticing the problems that constantly giving out, compa- giving out compassion makes is that a primary task of the body of Christ. That's amazing. Um, do you have any final encouragements for us as a church around compassion? I, I don't. I, 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 I only that I'm really glad that you're thinking about compassion because I think it's something that, as I said earlier, is, there's a danger of us losing a, a, that sense of compassion as a culture. So for you guys to be thinking about that just now and practicing that and putting strategies in place to enable each one within your congregation to begin to develop that is both uh, a, a mark of faithfulness but also radically countercultural. So I think that if you're successful in the task that you want to, that you're trying to engage in, then you can really make a big difference. Yeah. Thank you so much, Sean. This has been absolutely wonderful. We really appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you for listening to the Pattern Podcast. If you'd like to explore more spirit-filled patterns of living, head over to pattern.org.uk.